0: Hey, it's Leah, and this is the Big Fight Blue Soul Podcast. A podcast for those who believe in a world and a life driven by passion, purpose, and connection. A connection with ourselves, our communities, and of course, our beautiful blue planet. Join me on a journey to learn and share from those who are becoming the soil that may nourish the seed of a more conscious, sustainable, and compassionate world. Hey guys, it's Aaliyah, and welcome to the microdotion. This is week three of Plastic Free July, so you're halfway through. How is it going? what are you struggling with? How are you feeling? Are you feeling like it's getting a little bit easier? Maybe last week making those swaps made you feel a little bit more of control of what you were doing. I'm so proud of you guys for listening, <laughs> for listening to this podcast and now just taking on this challenge because it's definitely not easy. I've already messed up, quote unquote, but you know, I don't think you should ever use stumbling fields as a reason to not even try you guys have done so well i know you have and it's not easy so doing what you can where you can and just starting to build that muscle memory starting to build those neural pathways it can be a bit of a journey but you've got this and i believe in you okay so challenge week This is all about caring for community. So if you live near the ocean, maybe you've heard about Take Three for the Sea, which is basically an initiative that every time you go to the beach, you just pick up three pieces of plastics that you have encountered. So I'm going to encourage all of you to go on a walk this week and pick up litter. Maybe you literally go for a beach clean or make it like a date or an activity with a friend, or you can join a group cleanup, do whatever feels most natural and easiest. Maybe you're just going on a dog walk and you'll bring a little bin bag with you Whatever is easiest, whatever you feel like you can accomplish. I'm also hoping that you guys will look into what community spaces are already available to you. So, is there a Buy Nothing Facebook group, which is basically a group where you put things up and you don't buy or sell them? You know, you're just looking for items that people just want to get rid of and otherwise would probably. Be given away to donation center or tossed in the bin? Is there a community garden? Is there a composting group in your local area? Can you find a community garden or food share group? Or can you advocate for your pla- favorite cafe or restaurant to switch out or reduce their use of plastics? So, this is all about engaging with the people around you and really trying to make those conversations happen. Another really cool option is if you're looking for new clothes but you want to get rid of some old ones host a clothing swap you could sell on facebook marketplace or ebay but sometimes i find it really frustrating trying to sell things and then you have to deal with negotiating whatever literally just make it like a fun night with your friends have a little fashion show Have some wine, have some charcuterie boards with cheese that you got from your deli because you're not using plastic. Just see how you can really engage more of the people around you to use less plastic and to create less waste. There's a really good blog that Christina has about what to do with things that no longer spark joy. So I hope this week you guys will take on this challenge and enjoy our topic for the week. Seven years ago, I can't believe it's been that long now, but a video went viral of a turtle with a straw stuck in its nose, and it kind of became this catalyst for the impact of plastic pollution in the marine environment. But debris might not be the only thing that marine creatures and humans should have to be concerned about. So plastic research has exploded since then, with marine scientists investigating more than just the volume of plastics that are out there today, but what the increasing exposure to plastic might be actually doing for the health of marine animals, the ecosystems, and for humans as well. So today we're chatting with Caitlin Smith, a marine scientist and PhD student at the University of the Sunshine Coast. She is currently using biomonitoring tools to investigate the toxicity and health risks of chemicals and heavy metal exposure associated with Plastic ingestion in sea turtles. So, thank you so much for being here today, Caitlin. I really appreciate it.
1: You know, thank you so much for having me.
0: Obviously, the turtle straw video brought attention to how much plastics and other debris are polluting our waters on a physical level. We can see that movement from land to rivers to oceans, where much of it gets taken by currents and can often send it far out of sight and from its original location. What are some of the other major dangers associated with plastic debris besides just straws getting stuck
1: in turtles' noses? Absolutely. And that video was such a a catalyst for... Um, Just the general public being aware of the issue in the ocean as well. But yeah, it's not just ingestion that we're concerned about anymore. I mean, yes, plastic bags and single-use plastics are an issue and they do cause things like um, blockages in your gastric system, cause things like septicemia, and uh, that can lead to organ failure But when we take it back to when the plastics were originally created on an industrial level, um, there's a lot of chemicals such as um, plasticizers and phthalates that are added to the plastics that make them um, durable and flexible, but they also make them a lot more toxic as well. And so when these start to break down to the smaller microplastics, those chemicals start to leach from within the, the inside and then on top of that you've also got um, this biofilm that's made up of bacteria and viruses in the marine environment that coat the plastic particles once it's been in the environment for a long time and this is really sticky so then when the plastic particles come into contact with poor water quality that might have herbicides pesticides heavy metals and things like that they have the ability to bind to the outside of the plastic as well so then when say a turtle comes along and eats that piece of plastic, it's more of a toxic pill because that biofilm then starts to break down and accumulate into the turtle's body. And then the phthalates and plasticizers start to leach within that plastic, that particle as well. And then you've got the, the pure physical presence of the plastic. So it's a three-pronged attack.
0: Oh, wow. So there's a lot to think about besides just that physical part. So when turtles are taking in these pieces of plastics, are they already degraded often, or are they usually those raw materials? How much do you see of the plastic being coated in these biofilms? Is that what's happening more often than not?
1: Yeah, so it's very rare that you would see like a perfectly preserved piece of plastic. Like, um, and if we do see things like plastic bags, they come in in pieces um, within the gut. Um, and the biofilms actually uh, quite it's microscopic so you can't see it but it's kind of think of it as like a slimy surface to the plastic as well so yeah we re- we rarely see um perfectly preserved things in in turtle gut. Okay,
0: so your research is using novel methods for studying this sort of exposure to plastics. So can you share what you're doing and why your work is different than what has been previously done when looking at plastic impacts on turtle populations?
1: Right. So typically, before when we were looking at just exposure of plastics to turtles, we would do one of two things. If we were going to look at a live turtle, we do uh, something that's called gastric lavage where you invert the turtle and you insert uh, a hose down its throat and you flush it with water to kind of get the most recent food out of its gut and then sort through that and see if there was any physical plastic material and then you take that into the lab and you do what's called FTIR and that is just looking like microscopy. So looking at it in a microscope, and then you can tell like what kind of plastic polymer it was, whether it was it, you know, polyethylene or styrofoam, what was the color, how big it was, those kinds of things. Or you do the same thing, but with a stranded individual. So if you had a a turtle that unfortunately died, we do an acropsy on it to see how it died and remove its gut and look through that to see if there was any plastics. But now we're moving into these more minimally invasive methods. And so what I'm doing is I'm taking a small piece of the hind flipper and I'm running that through, it's a very big word, but it's called double shot pyrolysis gas chromatography mass spectrometry, which is a really fancy word for just saying we pop it into a machine and it tells us the concentration of seven different plastic polymers within that. Yeah, so it's just a different method of of doing things, but um, it removes the more human-based error because we're not looking at a microscope and physically picking out different plastic particles within that tissue. Right.
0: And how did you start looking into this different method in the first place?
1: There's a great team um, out of the University of Queensland that's established this method for human human waste. So they went to like waste management facilities and got samples from there and, and ran this method that way. Um, and so they've established that. And since then, I think that was published in 2020. Since then, everyone's wanted to, to do this method for various different reasons as well. And yeah, we use turtles as an environmental proxy for wider ecosystem health for a lot of different reasons. And that's why I was like, oh, we should do that for turtles. Like it doesn't just have to be for humans.
0: So you're looking at these, the cells of the turtles. So you just said they're a good proxy for wider health, but why do you think that they're a good representation for human populations as well with their exposure to plastics, Mm -hmm. potentially?
1: That is a great question. And so... Like, like I said before, how we have um, a lot of different ways that turtles can be um, uh, exposed to plastics. We um, understand. I'm, I'm sitting here, like you know, drinking out of my metal bottle, but it does have a plastic lid to it, and I'm exposing myself to plastics right there as well you know it's scary plastics are in the air that we breathe they're in the food that we eat they're in the water that we drink they're really ubiquitous and unavoidable at this point in time and we really have no idea what health effects that's having on our organ function or even just on a cellular level as well
0: right so turtles are kind of a good option to see what's happening especially because there's already strandings you already are coming across them and there's already funding for research to look at these kinds of impacts so we don't have to think about so much i'm sure there's been studies done on humans there was one that there was a paper that came out last year that you had mentioned before
1: yeah i mean uh stuff of nightmares really that they found microplastics in fetuses and you know embryonic embryonic fluid which is really crazy that we're exposing our you know unborn children to these impacts before they're even in the outside world so it's it's definitely an interesting topic What is most
0: concerning to you about the impact of chemicals as you've conducted your research?
1: Um, As time goes on, I look at how different chemicals react together and form more synergistic impacts. So it might not just be one chemical that's doing the damage, it could be a whole range of them working together and So, yeah, you have like this compound mixing effect that is causing a lot more damage. Okay. So what does it mean when
0: you're finding these chemicals in the external tissues of the turtles? Are there like some specific parts of the plastic that just, like you were saying before, leaching through the different organs? And are some of the plastics worse than others or are they all equally bad?
1: Mm, that's That's a great question as well. I don't know if any uh, particular plastic polymer is worse than another. I think they're all pretty similar in terms of their impact or their potential impact. The, The method that we use is looking at the physical presence of that plastic polymer. So for that method, we're not looking at the chemical that was used to make them. But we do do another method where we grow live turtle cells in the lab and we expose them to those chemicals to see how the cells react as a result of being exposed to, to those chemicals. Um, and so that's really cool in itself.
0: Yeah, what are some of the interesting, I guess, results or just trends you've noticed since doing that kind of work and exposing the cells? Is it more of a long-term reaction or do some things happen immediately?
1: Yeah, no, we expose the cells to our little mixture of chemicals and we only leave them for a 24-hour period with being exposed to those and we immediately see um, a reaction. And so we we measure uh, cytotoxicity, which is just cell death. So what, what amount of cells die as a result of being exposed to those chemicals? So what do you think is
0: going to be one of the bigger obstacles going forward regarding plastic debris and its impact on populations like turtles that are exposed to it regularly?
1: I definitely think that the, I mean, the whole aim of this research is to enact change, increase management or like hars- harsher legislation in terms of the contaminants that we put out, the amount of plastics that we make on an industrial scale, how those are used in, in society. But one thing that does keep me up at night is how we can remove the plastic from the ocean once it's in there. We're adding, I think I read, 8 to 10 million tons of plastic into the ocean each year. But we are definitely not removing that much each year either. So how do we go about removing it from the water column and our sediments? Right.
0: So do you know of any existing technologies that may offer some potentially good options for removal? Or are there other things that give you hope in the space moving forward?
1: Yeah. I, have you heard of sea bins before? I have not. No. So they are, um, I think there's one in the Malula marina near the wharf but they're basically like little little bins that sit in the um in the top part of the water column and they filter in in water and they might collect things like uh like leaf litter um things like that but more than not it it filters in plastics and, and other anthropogenic debris and so something like that on a larger scale would be great but they need to be monitored like i think we have one in the harvey bay marina and it needs to be emptied Twice a day, I think. Yeah, and so that's a great innovative way of looking at how we remove things on a local level. Um, but yeah, definitely on a larger scale, like how are we how are we going to get rid of the Pacific garbage patch, right? Um, things like that. Yeah, it's just um, way beyond way beyond my brain power. It's
0: a little bit intimidating to think about how many tons of plastic have ever been made, and only really since the nineteen fifties. And there's also these things that are called biodegradable plastics, and I'm pretty sure it's just a greenwashing tactic, but what does it mean and what do you know about it?
1: Yeah, biodegradable plastic is definitely a contentious topic. I think if done well and done properly, it's a a great innovation however I have come across you know some bioplastics that say like bioplastics and people are like oh great I can recycle it or I can put it in the bin and it'll com- uh, you compost or like you know it'll say compostable but that means like you can put it in your compost at home or an industrial compost, which a lot of people don't know that they can access in their local area. Yeah, so a lot of those biodegradable plastics have caveats attached to them that aren't advertised. And so they ended up just going into, uh, you know, landfill. I do think that, yeah, it, it is a bit of a contentious topic as to whether or not they're useful or not. Yeah.
0: So are bioplastics made from plants and that's why they have like the bio in front of them or are they still just synthesized chemicals that are more easily broken down and that's why it has the bio in front of it?
1: Yeah, I think the majority of them are made up of polymers that are broken down by sunlight, and Uh, so they'll, they'll break down that way. But I still think that there's not a lot of research that's gone into them to make sure that they don't just degrade into the microplastics. Um, and, and exist that way um, I don't know if the the majority of biodegradable plastics I don't know if they um, you know degrade into nothingness like it always has to lead to something
0: right exactly everything can't be destroyed and just exactly. disappeared. <laughs> okay. What does your research indicate or mean for the future of turtles? Will they be struggling in the future with their ability to forage or to breed? What is your biggest concern for turtle populations with what you've learned?
1: Yeah, I think that the biggest thing on my radar is how are turtles supposed to cope with plastic pollution, not only just the f- the physical presence of it, like I said, and the chemicals associated with it, but how are they supposed to deal with that? And then all of the other impacts that we impose on them, like fishing pressures, bycatch, entanglement in discarded fishing gear, climate change, light pollution, illegal trade. I, I could go on and on about all the different threats that marine turtles face, but... I think we have to look at this holistically and how we can conserve environments as a whole. We can never look at one problem in isolation. We need to look at everything. So I think that's what really concerns me moving forward.
0: And we are part of a collective. I think people are starting to realize we need to stop just thinking about these problems on an individual or even a local level. Sometimes Mm -hmm. we really have to think about If we're going to tackle this on a local scale, how is that feeding into the regional goals and then the national goals and how can they actually work together in cohesion? So I guess now that you're at the tail end of your studies, what do you do next with this knowledge that you've gained? Mm,
1: absolutely. I think I've, I've definitely gone into, well, come out of it with a lot more questions that I went into it with. And I think that's a good thing because, you know, good research leads to, you know, more, more questions and more further research. Um, I definitely want to look at more the, like, I, I, I really want to delve deeper into the phthalates and plasticizers and pull of, pull each of those out individually, because at the moment I'm looking at them. As a mixture, but yeah, what what concentrations of those phthalates we finding in turtles, or even I would like to expand into whales, dolphins, dugong, and look at this uh, on a on a wider level.
0: Yeah. Amazing. And I guess my one final question for you is like, what would you if you could say one sort of statement to the general public about all this knowledge that you have? What would you want for them to know or to hear or to implement into their own lives?
1: I think everyone that's listening to this podcast is obviously very environmentally minded and would have some idea of why this was going on in the first place. I would definitely limit the amount of plastic that you're obviously using on a day-to-day level. I know it's so hard to avoid. Like, I, I mean, I can't even 100% avoid plastic, um, but make sure that you're aligning yourself politically with um parties that are more likely to enact change and change legislation um, that will decrease the amount of plastics that we produce um, and be more environmentally minded like yourselves. Thank you so much for this, Caitlin. I really appreciate it. No, I loved every second of it.
0: Thank you for listening to this Edition episode of the Big Fight Blue Soul podcast. Again, you can find most of this information in the blog in text form. Check out show notes for the resources. Let me know if you guys are participating, your thoughts on this episode, and what you want to hear. We're still always looking for sponsors for the show, so please reach out via email at aliyah at bigfightbluesoul.org. That's A-L-I-Y-A at bigfightbluesoul.org. Thank you to Dan Hennig, Track Tribe, Anna Domini, Akash Gandhi, and Telecasted for providing the free music that brings this podcast to life. This podcast was produced by me, Aliyah Siddiqui. Thank you all for tuning in, and I'll catch you next time.